You're listening to Someone Like Me. This episode was recorded in the early months of 2022. We had just purchased our new Survivor Restoration Campus, and the conversations you hear in this third season will refer to this campus as well as our former name, End Slavery Tennessee. In 2023, our organization rebranded to Ancora Tennessee, ushering a new era as we nurture survivor healing and strategically combat human trafficking in this state of Tennessee. Now, without further ado, we present Season 3 of Someone Like Me. Please enjoy. This is Someone Like Me, the official podcast of Ancora, Tennessee, formerly known as End Slavery, Tennessee. I'm Leslie, and this podcast helps you learn more about the ways Encora, Tennessee is combating human trafficking in our state. We do this a few ways. We provide specialized case management and comprehensive aftercare for human trafficking survivors, and we tactically address the problem through advocacy, prevention, and training of frontline professionals. Last season on this show, we talked with the social enterprise called Branded Collective about how they designed a job skills development opportunity exclusively for human trafficking survivors we serve here in Encora, Tennessee. Even though Branded Collective decided not to reopen after the pandemic, the model they created continues to inspire other businesses who are partnering with Encora, Tennessee to help create viable employment opportunities for survivors. So in this episode, our executive producer, Stacey Elliott, serves as guest host and talks with Strings for Hope founder and CEO, Emily Winters, along with general manager, Devin Reinout, and their vision to empower survivors to achieve financial and career success. They talk about how using trauma-informed strategies improves outcomes for career development. Strings for Hope wants to inspire other businesses to consider partnering with nonprofits like Encora, Tennessee, that can come alongside and build sustainable solutions for persons impacted by complex trauma. Also joining in this conversation is associate producer, Caitlin Reed. Today, we are so excited to be on our Survivor Restoration Campus. I've just given a tour to the ladies who are Strings for Hope, and they've joined us today on the campus to talk about what they do and uh, why it's so important in the recovery process for our survivors and how they do what they do. I also have here today Caitlin Reed, our Senior Communications and Events Specialist. So let me introduce to you Devin Rideout and Emily Winters. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having us today. Thank Very you excited. so much. Very excited to hear. So tell us, what is Strings for Hope? So Strings for Hope is a jewelry brand that takes broken musical strings and turns them into jewelry. And our mission is to employ and empower survivors of addiction, human trafficking, and domestic abuse. That's perfect. And it's perfect for right here in Music City. It is. Plenty of material. Exactly. All the strings are donated to us. They're broken guitar strings, bass strings, violin strings. And it has been great not only to keep strings out of the landfill, but also repurpose something and teach survivors how to repurpose something. 
Yeah, nice analogy too. Mm-hmm. It's a good, good analogy. You're giving those <laughs> strings a second life. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. And also too, it's really great because, you know, not only are we creating this beautiful jewelry out of it that is resellable, but a lot of the women we work with, they've never necessarily made anything that people desire and that they want. So it does act as art therapy in a way too, but it's also completely sellable and a lot of times people are just so amazed that one, it's handmade, and two, that it's recycled guitar strings. Yeah. The shock factor is really cool, especially with our newer products, because I know you've seen some, Stacey. But yeah, I have some. Yeah. I'm one of them. I can't believe I forgot to wear it today. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but the shock factor of this is actually string and what it is technically supposed to be, in quotations, what it's supposed to be is is something that is just musical and its life is just to be on a guitar or whatever that instrument may be. But we're able to really mold it and like break it down into something that is just completely unexpected. It's really cool. And it's really cool for the survivors that we work with to see that and be a part of that. So... I'm curious. This is a really specific kind of employment opportunity. How did you come to make the decision that you wanted to work with survivors, particularly of human trafficking? Yeah. So we were already working with women in recovery at the time, partnering with nonprofits and recovery facilities. And being in that world, I realized that there was still a void in the trafficking side of things. I had heard about end slavery and had always wanted to get involved and actually had ended up working with some survivors just because of how facilities will partner with each other. And so that's kind of what led me to the decision to approach y'all and start working with um, survivors over here. We also realized, too, with just employment opportunities, they're very limited when it comes to women and their initial steps of recovery, whether it's from addiction, human trafficking, or domestic violence. So Strings for Hope, we, we solved that void. So the biggest thing that we're doing is we're physically coming to these women. They don't have to find transportation. They don't have to worry about childcare necessarily, depending, you know, where they're living. Um, they don't have to worry about getting out of bed and looking a certain way, like we come to them. And the biggest reason we do that is because it is their initial steps of recovery and they're trying to balance their therapy or their court or their childcare or whatever it might be. And so being able to relieve them having to go find a job or maintain it or trying to tell their boss that they just need a mental health day, like that's not a normal thing. But we understand that in their initial steps recovery, it is a normal thing. And we have to give them grace and have that patience. So being able just to even come to where they're at, meeting them where they're at, is that huge void that a lot of jobs, I guess, not only a void, but not a lot of opportunity out there that's similar to this. Well, you're breaking down some barriers. Mm-hmm. The barriers that, especially people in recovery... They just can't get over that hump mm-hmm. and to get to that next split. But once they've had the experience with you, they can b- begin to build on on the experience working with you so that they can move on to that next level. Exactly. That's so exciting. Yeah. And our goal is to help them move on to that next level. So us just being that supplemental income, job skill training, art therapy, just another ear to listen 
and then being able to provide that empowerment to say, hey, you're doing great with where you're at. You know, I know in a couple months, like, what's your plan next? Another thing that we'll talk about, I'm sure, more is just our job program in general is our goal is to bring them into our in-house production, so where they actually physically do have to come. And that's just another step when it comes to job training in general. Yeah. We focus a lot on our program and how we can better it. And that's that's the core of our business. I mean, I will I will strip all the sales away to make sure that this program is where the need is. And we've definitely had to make adjustments with the pandemic. That really has oh, yes. that really has changed a lot of how we operate and uh, making a better quality product too. We have our newer collection and keeping the survivors that we work with not only motivated to show up, but also um, engaged with what they're doing. There's learning curves that you have to go through as a business. And I really pride myself on that with with our company and our team. I feel like we've done a really good job of molding to what the survivors need. Well, I love that you said that because it makes me think, what was something that you learned along the way? You were like, oh, maybe we should change and do something a little differently. What, what was that? Yeah. Um, a good example of this is we have been meeting survivors where they're at and coming in with a class-like program. Um, but we were we were letting survivors take home the product initially and make it on their own time. And I did make a shift with that, which was really hard because it was they were making good money, but the quality wasn't there. And um, to clarify, we are a for-profit business and every sale does go back to employing the survivors that we work with, literally everyone. And so with that, I knew that the quality had to be important and also just retention with our program and still holding these women accountable to showing up to their job essentially, which is our program, it looks a little different than a normal job, but it's still a job and it's still, mm -hmm. you know, step-by-step -step process. And so that was the biggest change I think recently was not allowing anyone to take home the product because obviously like things happen where that can not be a good situation. We would, they would bring it back to class the following week and it would not be good. And I would, we would have to be the bearer of bad news and say, hey, go back and work on this, um, which is really hard when you already spent your whole week working on this. Right. And so the the shift for us is, I want to say kind of being a giant assembly line is what we do. We have survivors in-house, in-house production um, that are not at the facilities or nonprofits that we're partnering with, but they're kind of finishing the product now. So it's basically everyone's hands are getting to be on this product, which is a, a good thing for quality, but also a good thing for working with the survivors and keeping the retention. Yeah. And another thing, too, is the styles that we've created out of COVID. I don't want to say they're necessarily easier, but it's more that piece by piece aspect. And so it is great because all the makers, survivors, we call them makers, they feel like they really have contributed to every single piece. And with the whole take home work, it was, you know, putting a lot of responsibility on them. And sometimes they wouldn't be able to bring back all the product and then they themselves would be disappointed. And it just, the structure wasn't necessarily more empowering as it could be. And so restructuring, we're like, well, what works best? You know, with them having to balance all these different things, what can we do where they feel 
empowered. They feel like they met goals. They feel Mm -hmm. as if they accomplished something, all of that. And so then we created that class structure of, you know, it's a two-hour thing and here's your task. And it's more checklist-y kind of not mundane, but very repetitive. And we've realized, too, repetitive is really great um, in that initial step of recovery because— Sometimes the greatest goal is just getting up in the morning. Um, And so just even just coming to class and seeing just the smiles on everybody's faces at the end of the class versus, oh, I'm sorry, we can't accept this product. Because once again, every sale goes directly back to employing more survivors. And so if we can't have sales, we can't employ and we just don't have a company anymore. So the strategy behind it, it's very well thought through and a lot of trial and error in some Mm -hmm. regards too. And then pandemic, we just had to really, (laughs) really take a step back and and restructure. Something that I just thought of was really for me, I knew that we value the people that we work with. I knew that we're great at empowering them. I know that people like what they're doing, but we weren't valuing the product as much as we could have. And I know that they weren't either because it was kind of all in their control of just kind of taking it home and doing what you want and you spent all this time on it. And we would have times where it would just come back and it, or the product that we had taught them how to make, it just was completely not up to par. And, and with that, I realized we were all slowly not valuing the product and we would just take it sometimes and fix it later and those kind of things. And that really doesn't help the long run for anybody. That's not good for anybody. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I feel like with the change that we have made, um, it's really exciting to see them just so excited about what the product looks like at the end of the day and what the in-house team is able to complete with the work we could not do without the program workers and what they're doing here. So I love that. I, I love the things that I'm hearing about building a team of people that are all contributing to one vision and the camaraderie that you've been able to cultivate. Mm-hmm. It's a not an easy thing to do when people are in recovery to build a camaraderie that you're able to focus on something. And I, I just really want to applaud that because it's it's not an easy thing. You're selling a beautiful product and it's come through several iterations. And now I love that you say that the makers are proud of what they're doing. They've taken it to another level of pride in their work. So I'm sure the people listening to this podcast are very interested in seeing what that looks like. How do you distribute your product? So we have many different avenues to purchase. The biggest one would be online. You can just go to our website, juststringsforhope.com. We also do events around Nashville. We are based out of Nashville. So Locally, we do a lot of pop-ups and events, and then nationwide, we do wholesale. So if you're a boutique owner out there, contact me. (laughs) So we do have those offerings. Um, We also work with corporate events that come to town, gifting, amenity use, merchandise for certain artists. So there are ways to obtain our product. And yes, it is really cool to see the faces of the women when we're working on such a small little piece and then I show them the picture of what it's going to look like and they're like, no, no, there's no way that's what it's going to look like. I'm like, (laughs) yes, yes. So the makers and then also when we do sales, people also are just dumbfounded by that this is guitar string. So yeah, definitely check us out on stringsforhope.com. Give us a follow on Instagram. Yeah. Emily, do you remember when we saw each other? Yeah. I was at an event 
with an artist that was doing a, I guess, a rollout for her video. Yeah, 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 she was. And I was like, Strings for Hope? Wait a minute, I know who that is. And there you were with a booth. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even selling anything. I wasn't supposed to be selling anything, <laughs> but I did to a few people. Because <laughs> they couldn't resist it. They couldn't, yeah. I, I was fascinated with the beauty and very unexpected just beauty of what you were offering. It was not what, I, I mean, I have a piece that looks a little more guitar stringish, and I like it too because it's so yeah. Nashville. Mm-hmm. But really what you've done is... Uh, is create something that is more remarkable than I think people can imagine yeah. until they see it. Mm-hmm. The unexpected and the what people think that it should look like. That was so important to me is to, I want to say shock people, but also just not underestimate <laughs> the product and what our makers are capable of doing. And we're constantly pushing those limits, which is another point to why I love how our program is set up now with this kind of level base of a program, and we're only continuing to grow it, is that they are excited to learn more and how to progress in in jewelry making if that's what they want to do. And we're like, we're here for it. We're here to help you do that. Yeah. And another thing too, that, you know, we kind of explain in a way is that we are taking something broken and making it into something beautiful. And that even from the very beginning step of a guitar string of where it was being created, there's that story. And then it's purchased by a guitarist. And then now they're playing it. So they have their own story. And then they restring their guitar. And then now the strings end up in the trash. And then here we are taking that trash and providing jobs for it. And then now the women are working on it and creating the jewelry. And then the customer purchases it and they're wearing it. Now they have their own story. So just the journey of the string alone is amazing. And then you pair it with the story of the women that we work with. It's just a win-win. Yeah, it really Mm -hmm. is. I think um, when you're out there talking to people and they hear what you're doing and um, who you work with and where this comes from, what are the kind of reactions that people have about human trafficking? What kind of responses do people have? Do people, I mean, people are open to that or do they, they talk about it or how does that work? They do. So you, <laughs> there are a lot of customers that, you know, like, oh, human trafficking, you know, and they, they might start bringing up a story like the movie Taken. Mm. <laughs> and I kind of, you know, give them a little bit of grace, but kind of have to explain to them that it's not necessarily like that movie. A lot of people reference it. Mm-hmm. It's happening everywhere and we don't necessarily see it because it could potentially be a neighbor and the child down the street or even family. There's so many different levels of it and I don't think we just don't see it. And so we don't inform ourselves with the facts. We almost just take what the media has out there and run with it or create our own idea. And I think people kind of do make it more Hollywood so then it doesn't feel as real as it actually is because it really could be your neighbor down the street. So putting in that perspective and trying to help our customers, as we, I mean, we do, they're our customers, really understand in a small setting, you know, what human trafficking is and what it looks like. And then also a lot of people don't understand that it's more relational when it comes to human trafficking. Most of the time, the people who are being trafficked, like they know their abuser and addiction is, 
I don't say 100% of the time involved, but very close to it when it comes to adults. And, and that also, too, creates its own stigma on that. And so trying to inform our customers, a lot of times we'll share things that our nonprofit partners post about just to help with the facts. So yes, we are a jewelry company, but if you go on any socials, we're really trying to be that trauma-informed source for people who aren't necessarily out there looking for it. We are not the experts. You know, we are a jewelry business, but I know the experts. I direct people to this podcast. I have directed people to um, just other forms of information so they can learn a little bit more. And I, I do tell people that when when selling or when I was at a wholesale market recently and someone who has been in the business for years, she was so shocked with what we do. And I'm like, I mean, we're working with people. They're just people. You know, there's that misconception of the, you have, it looks a certain way, right? They're really just broken people somewhere. No, it's, no, they're just people. I'm working with individuals and providing job opportunities. It's the same thing that I needed when I was 18 years old. I just, it just looks a little different. And so it's really cool to be able to provide resources for people and in a different setting. Because when you're a nonprofit, such as yourselves or um, a facility that houses women or you're trying to raise money for different things, you have your network of people who already know what you're talking about. And it can be hard to educate everyone else. Mm. And so having people like, like Strings for Hope and like all the other social enterprises out there, um, it's great because we're able to put it out there to the general public in a different way. Yeah, as, as the person that runs our social media <laughs> and uh, controls a lot of the external communications that we put out, it's very helpful to have partners like yourselves that are really initial touch points for a lot of people that have no understanding or no background information about trafficking. And for you all to share expert, quote unquote, expert information through your channels and inform your audience is just helping us with another avenue of educating the public. Because like you said, Devin, people do have a lot of misconceptions about what trafficking looks like. And the more we educate people, the more people realize this is a real problem and they want to be involved and they start to realize like, hey, I can actually help in some way, as opposed to the other end of the spectrum where they keep talking about taken and furthering that misconception, like that really just hurts all the people that we're serving. So I know we're very grateful to have people in the community like yourselves who are putting the truth out there and helping to steward what we're doing, our organization. It's just incredibly helpful. We are glad, too, to have such amazing partners. I mean, we wouldn't be a business necessarily without the successful nonprofits that are helping these women truly with their case management and their therapy and all of those things. And you just talking about, you know, ways for people to help. I think a lot of times people really think the only way to truly help is to sit down with a survivor and talk with them and, you know, and hug them and love on them, which yes, great. Maybe if you met them on your own, but when it comes to working with and Cora or Strings for Hope, the biggest thing is really just asking, like, where is the need? Mm -hmm. And companies like us, it's not going to be to sit down with a survivor. It's going to be helping sort canned goods mm -hmm. and helping us sort guitar strings, honestly, <laughs> you know, and just that stuff really does 
go a long way to continue just the sustainability of our company so then we can then, you know, in quote expert or just in general, then be able to help these women further. So true. And if there's any other nonprofits out there listening to this, and I'm sure there are, we pride ourselves on being like a social enterprise type arm um, for nonprofits. And that's our goal long term is to continue building our program even more bigger and better to help survivors transition back into the real world. And I really do value um, the education and the platform that you're giving us today because it's great to just have open communication about where the need is for survivors. And I think if we were able to do this more with other businesses, it would look a lot different. I think we would be able to employ a lot more people if there Mm -hmm. was just understanding of like, what is that threshold? What do they need? Well, they need money right now. They need time off. They need X, Y, and Z. I think, I think a lot of people are capable of giving that um, rather than like you're saying, just meeting someone and trying to be there for them and kind of hug them through it. And they don't always need a hug. <laughs> or want one. <laughs> or want one. Sometimes oh, yeah. they just need, um, I, I think we talked about this before, Stacey, but they need to feel like they're equal with you, not like they're a victim. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's so important to us, especially, you know, I'm working on bringing that to our program when we're in the classes. It's so hard when we're, we have limited time, mm-hmm. um, but I think we do a great job with it. But when we're at our office working with survivors, it's, it just, it's through our whole building. We're just, we really do empower people to be and do what they want. And they, I feel like we all look at each other as equals in, it doesn't matter the position that you're in. It doesn't matter what you've been through. And um, that is something that I think is really important. If a business could take anything away, it would be that. Yeah. Well, Devin spoke about being trauma-informed, and obviously that's what the work we're doing. But you all also offer a trauma-informed environment. And we've talked numerous occasions on our staff. Really, every business should be trauma-informed. Yes. <laughs> every person has experienced some sort of trauma, obviously varying degrees of trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, But being more trauma-informed and empathetic really only benefits you. Mm -hmm. Your your business, you as the business owner, your employees, et cetera, everybody that touches your work only benefits from environments like that. Yeah. And, you know, in I think there are gifts of COVID. (laughs) <laughs> and I think one of the, yeah. and I know, I know that seems kind of crazy, but what we've learned as a culture and a society is one, how to, how to use Zoom, have a, have a Zoom meeting. I still have trouble. Well, we all still have trouble, <laughs> but we've learned that it's an option that yeah. we can try that. And, um, uh, but the other thing, I think we've maybe had a, a bigger awareness of some mental health mm-hmm. issues yeah. and that looking at the whole person and giving dignity maybe recognizing some of our vulnerability. And I think that can move us forward as a society, maybe being more open to what you're talking about, Caitlin. And so I love that you're talking about this cottage industry that you have, that you're doing, that you're already doing it, and that other people can come alongside and do it. And we all Mm -hmm. have the capacity right now, and I think we're at a good place in our society to take that step. Very Mm -hmm. much so. And I think the biggest thing, too, it's not just because we're all— women, (laughs) but communication is so big and communication takes time, really does. And so really just recognizing and loving the one in front of you. So let's say, 
you know, employee A walks through the door and, and you can tell they're having a bad day. Give them a couple minutes to settle down. And if it's not improving, go talk to them. I mean, really just simple things like that. You know, if you're seeing, this is just for any employer out there, I guess, you know, and if you know that they might be struggling with mental health or addiction or past trauma or even just a death, that's also happened a lot this past couple years, is giving them grace. But then also it's still a business, you know, and so it's, you make that decision, do they just need a mental health day and go home? Do they need that boss to say, hey, I know you're struggling, but like you are needed. You are very valued here. If you need to take a minute to step out, cry in the bathroom. We have tissues everywhere in our office. <laughs> do you um, need me to be in there with you? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> what do you need? Or no, but you need to get your work done, you know, type deal too. Because sometimes we do just need a kick in the butt yep. um, because sometimes whatever's going on mentally, you almost need that person to be like, snap out of it. You got mm-hmm. this. You're better than this. Just do your job. You know what I mean? Like a pep talk. You know, some a little a tough talk. love a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And I've realized working with not everybody, but a lot of the women we work with, sometimes that is really what they need. You know, they might ask to not come to work. And I'm like, no, you need to come to work. <laughs> and then they get to work and they're 10 times better, yeah. you know, because they just need to get themselves out of where they're at. And so really just communicating. Grace is so big. And empathy, like you said, too, is I might not have the trauma they have or the addictions they have, but just still giving that empathy and knowing that, you know, we're here to help them. And they've, I mean, the women we work with have helped me learn so much, too. So, yeah, like I said, if you're an employer out there, just show a little grace and just communicate. So you were talking about how they're just people. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, I don't think anybody that we're working with here either at Encora or at Strings for Hope, wants to be defined by their past. Um, they want to be. They want to look toward the future and build the confidence that it takes to walk into that future uh, with dignity. And that's, I think, the bottom line of what you're you're talking about. Definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel like it's not easy, right? Like it's not easy for anyone. Like Devin was saying, like we learn from them, and we take so much away just from every employee that I've ever had. I feel like I've, I've learned so much and I feel like it was so needed for me personally. I'm sure you can think about the success of some of the people you've worked with. Can you talk about that dynamic of what that might look like when you see them come from one place to another? What does that look like? Yeah, we have a variety of stories and it's really exciting when, I mean, we've had some survivors who you know, use our work development program is primarily just supplemental income. So being able to pay off parking tickets, being able to pay off court fines, being able to pay child support, just using it that way, or even just, you know, cigarette money and being able to provide that on their own versus having to ask family and friends, mm-hmm. being like, haha, I got my cigarette money. Like they <laughs> feel empowered with that. And it's great um, to even women who we've worked with for a longer period of time who think, you know, after this, I'm going to go to college. And it gives me goosebumps mm. just thinking about that because they never thought that they would go to college. They didn't even graduate high school, you know? So just they themselves knowing, wow, I can do this. I can get my GED and go off and do college. I can open my own business. We're working with somebody right now who is just so excited about pursuing her own business in the future. And we want to kind of keep her forever, but we know we can't. <laughs> 
And we are very encouraging when it comes to pursuing their dreams and their goals. And also just kind of high-fiving or applauding when the women we work with do talk about the future because some of them never thought that they would ever have a future. So one thing that we talk about in our program that I think we could talk about with you all is not putting ourselves as the hero of the story, that we are shifting the the focus onto the survivors that we work with, that they're the hero of their own story. And I think that that's something we really try to shine a light on in our program. And it seems like that that's something you guys are are doing at Strings for Hope, which is you are basically providing the conduit for these things to happen and hoping that by empowering these survivors that they see themselves as the hero of their story. And I think that that's really important because, you know, you do see, especially media portrayals, et cetera, that these folks are getting, are being rescued, quote unquote. And that's not really what's happening. Yeah. So I think that that's really important that you all are putting that in the forefront of the work that you're doing as well. I get so amped up when people talk about this because I think— I don't know how else to explain other than I just don't love when there is almost like this hero syndrome type of mentality. And I think it's really important to, of course, there's people out there actually rescuing people. Yes, that exists. But even when we talk about the company to people and we're selling our product, it's not always like the first thing we say is not, you know, we work with survivors. Let me just (laughs) talk about that for like 45 minutes. We we talk about what people are interested in in the product and this is like this is just an opportunity for these women and I always tell people I don't downplay what we're doing because I know we're doing great work, but I I state facts that we are a small role into a bigger picture of their mm-hmm. lives. I'm just fortunate that we can fit in their lives and be a piece of it. And I'm really passionate about that. So I'm glad you brought that up. That was gorgeous. Um there are beautiful things that happen beautiful jewelry that happens. And as lovely as some of the stories are, there are also difficult stories, I think, that you have to navigate. And I don't want to, I want to be balanced about that because we can focus on the positive and we always do. But I also want to talk, focus on the reality. Is there a time when you felt you had to deal with something really hard? Yeah. um, As a business owner, There's always like humbling experiences that um, come with running a business and especially working with survivors. And we're constantly learning, right? Mm -hmm. We're not the experts. We just (laughs) know some. (laughs) And there's been a time that I have been transparently naive to the recovery journey. I didn't really understand that the recovery journey isn't always linear, Mm. that it can circle back around. And when I first took over this business, I had built relationships with a lot of the survivors that we were working with. And one of them ended up passing away of an overdose. And with that, I, I was just in full shock. And that it was a learning experience for me that recovery is not always linear and that there is hard times when it comes to working with survivors that you're going to have to educate yourself on and in a way prepare yourself for um, situations that come up like that. And that, especially with my business, did set me back. I'm so thankful that I am more informed now, more trauma informed. And back then I was just a 
young, naive girl who's like, let's do this. Let's help people. And uh, kind of like what you were saying earlier, I just wanted to hug people, kind of pet people and just be like, I'm here for you. You want to make some money? And now there's just so much more intention and strategy to what we do. So we're able to help women survivors have an easier recovery journey with also real expectations. Yeah, it's that open-hearted mindset yeah. that you had that allowed for you to stay with it yeah, and to grow and become the person that you are now to be able to do this so well. Yeah. While it was hard, it was also an important piece to my life personally to ground me into where I'm at in this business and where I know I need to be especially in the position that I'm in. I'm grateful that I, you know, own the company and ended up taking it over and doing all the things. It's been great. But I know where my strengths are. And that was an experience that helped me get there. Definitely. And like Emily said, just learning from that experience has really led us to put in different boundaries and rules. And Mm -hmm. I mean, even just as simple as we don't hire women in recovery to do our sales because we need to sell. Once again, that's how we run our our business. And sometimes we'll be downtown and downtown is not a good atmosphere for women, especially in recovery from addiction. Um, Really any field downtown can be very overwhelming. You know, even just simple things like that, just learning from past experiences to then really help strategize and build our company to be the best that it can. We'd like to thank Junior League of Nashville for being a community awareness partner with someone like me. Our producers are Stacey Elliott, Caitlin Reed, and myself, Leslie Eiler-Thompson. In addition to being a producer, Clara Bidigari-Curtis is our engineer, and she is assisted by Selena De La Cruz. Special thanks to our intern, Riley Herman. The original music you hear is by Zach and Maggie White. 